let's go deep, shall we? You're listening to Some Depth with Neve and Daisy. A place for friendship, feminism and cultural tidbits. We want to keep you keen while you quarantine. Keep you up to date while you isolate. <laughs> we only have 30 minutes to rock your world, but knowing some of you, that, that won't be a problem. problem. Hello, <laughs> Hello can Daisy. We, can we pronounce to the listeners so that they get a full 4D experience in their brains of what we're doing right now? Are we going to do cozy ASMR? <laughs> Yes, like this is the lamp that's between us right now. Okay. Oh yeah. I don't know if, if if you hear if you listen really closely, you'll hear the faint ticking of a large clock on the wall, the kind you'd find in your grandparents' house. Yes. I have a a nice fleecy warm blanket mm-hmm. thrown over my legs, which I have perched on top of a footrest. Mm. We're both reclining. Absolutely. We're actually, I've just realised, matching. Because while Neve is in an interesting blue floral um, pyjama set, I'm in an interesting blue floral nightgown. <laughs> like a, or dressing gown. Dressing gown. Yeah. So welcome into our humble abode. We are yeah. very comfortable and we are pleased to have you here. <laughs> You're very welcome. Daisy, tell me about your week on the internet. Um, okay, so this week, I mean, aside from studying, what I like to do in the mornings is I get up and make myself a coffee. We have a wonderful drip coffee. Well, she says make herself. You make us coffee. I make I make us both coffee. I make six cups worth of coffee and drink five of them. And Neve has the rest. <laughs> and that's how it works. But I get down and I like open the blinds. And you know that sludgy brain effect you have before your coffee? Yes. I find that something that really blows away the cobwebs is going onto the School of Life YouTube and watching a couple of videos, um, mm. or even just one. They're very short, but they are very informative and gorgeously illustrated. And they'll bring you through various philosophers or political scientists and their theories. Or they'll just have something like a, a maybe like the equivalent of a, a video fluff piece like yes, why I actually you'll saw, marry the I wrong actually, person I was actually listening to one of them this morning with you and it was very interesting yeah, yeah. so yeah this morning um, I, I was playing one that was actually about Voltaire and his central idea that um, what was it Neve? one must cultivate one's own garden yes which sounds just really nice and like why should that even be a rule but it's accompanied with this analogy um, that he wrote in his original like treatise, which is called Candide, and it's really ultimately about um, what well, I interpreted it this way as, on one hand, a really healthy boundary between political activism and the terrible events of the news of today. Yes. And then on the other hand, unfortunately, a bit of a validation of political ignorance. Exactly, and I I was listening to it, and I think I especially agreed with you on the second point because when you take the context into account he was basically of this understanding that you have been given a life a life has been bestowed onto you do not try to change it just work within the boundaries of the life you've been given which I think collective activism and community has demonstrated is not true and if you focus too much on your own on your own thought and you aren't looking to your neighbors then there's no community for growth right and i think when i heard that that's what came to me but i think it is definitely there is definitely some 
like value in hearing that because it does make yeah. you kind of say okay well I have here like I have the tools in front of me like let's reap the rewards of what I have yeah and I think it's very much that and it's I mean like in brief the analogy that, that accompanied one must cultivate one's own garden was about this bystander who was witnessing atrocities at the hands of political leaders in Istanbul but what was then Constantinople and he told the narrator that he didn't know anything about what was going on in Constantinople all he did was cultivate his own garden so I suppose like the reader of that could interpret that as like oh nice just lead a peaceful and simple life and everything will be fine but I think um, accompanied with the greater picture it's exactly what Neve said you need to engage and grow with others and the world that's going on around you exactly in order to really lead a fulfilled life to uh, dismantle the capitalist patriarchy yeah but even from a selfish point of view to be fulfilled <laughs> yeah you can't absolutely. just no man is an island and all that absolutely yeah anyway how about your week on the internet my weekend on the internet has been an interesting one because well as you know because we live in each other's arse pockets <laughs> um I, i've been on an, in, uh, an instagram hiatus i just deleted the app for a while i actually re-downloaded it today and it overwhelmed me um, but I get out for a cycle every day for about half an hour or so and what I've been listening to is the Lippy Kids podcast which oh, is yeah. by our dear friend Charlie German but also was founded by Owen McSweeney and Killian Down and I'll recommend to the listeners one specific episode which I think would be a great starting point if you wanted to listen um, it's basically the idea of the podcast is that it's a collective of writers and creatives not unlike quarantine event okay um but it's you know a platform for creative young irish creatives to put their work together and produce it into an episode so mm. there's you know like music from lucy mcwilliams might feature and if there you know there's a, a reading read by somebody who's also a creative and it all gets edited together and it's just a really lovely re- um listening experience and i love doing it while we, we live beside the sea listeners we've talked about this before but i i cycle along the promenade and i listen to it and it makes me very happy um but yes i will recommend specifically um hannah crowley reading rasputin by hannah conlon um, it's an incredible episode and it was so good I nearly started from the beginning to watch it again um, and the other thing I was going to mention mm-hmm. because we've both been doing it is that our use of the internet has largely been contacting our mothers <laughs> which is an unexpected aside to our retirement lifestyle but <laughs> yes. Uh, yes it absolutely has it's calling them on the whatsapp yes. and they're like can you hear me can you hear me and then there's a lag Yes. but they deliver you like the best gossip like yes. I don't think anybody in your life is going to deliver you gossip quite like your mother delivers. Absolutely, and it's been great. But even without the exciting bits of gossip, sometimes it just it makes me so comforted to hear about people that I love's days. So to like just listen to my mother describe her routine to me, yeah. and then I do it back to her. It gives me that sense of community that I think you don't get when you're just texting somebody. It's kind of an intimate thing. It is absolutely. Yeah. Which like I suppose is lockdown. What? Like, we need those is, calls. Is this? Is, stop it. Stop, Daisy, stop making eye contact with me. I know, it's actually, we need, I just need to say this because the listeners need to understand. It's actually really weird doing this in person because I don't know where to look. Like, I'm looking at Neve sometimes and then I'm like, no, I'm looking at her too much. So now I've got to go take a sip of water and then, like, look I'm back a, at the I'm a stare into space here anyway. So I've been staring at the, we live in an old lady's house and I'm staring at the speaker, the old speakers that she has beside the 
um, fireplace. Yeah, she's got a surround sound. I mean, she is a you know she's a grandma, but she's a cool one. She's a cool she's one. She's got a surround sound. Um, one more thing that I've been doing on the internet um, is using the Leiden University catalogue to access <laughs> to access <laughs> online PDF versions of books, and one of them, which Cambridge University Press, this is a call out. I was in the middle of reading this book. And you wouldn't let me download any further. And it really frustrated me. So oh, I ended up, no. I know. And then I ended up going old school and just checking it out, the hard copy out of the library. But what it is, is a book by Professor Beth Simmons. She's a professor in Harvard of um, international law. But she, she writes on something that I think a lot of Irish people already understand and know because of the way that our legal system has interacted with international law. But essentially... She writes about how international human rights treaties, while they are, you know, largely unenforceable on some level, mm. like unlike most law that you would have in a domestic jurisdiction, that it is a useful tool for citizens to hold their state to account. Yeah. Um, for example, the Magdalen Laundries, mm. um, the apology to Magdalen Laundries and the McAleese Commission came about because a, like a group of activists of um, civil society went to the UN convention, the UN uh, committee against torture, and they brought a case for the Magdalen Laundry survivors. And the committee said to Ireland, "This is torture. Yeah. Unequivocally, what happened here was torture." And it kind of relates back to that idea that international human rights treaties are the kind of last lo- line of defence for those who have been failed by the system, which is, I suppose, something we can only hope will not come to but may come to when it when direct provision becomes um, an international scandal it actually just like enhances your respect for the people that take up the mantle of you know even i was saying to you this week this struggle in legal circles particularly in public international law where people go well no one's writing about this so i guess i have to mm-hmm. no well i guess no one's taking a case so i guess we will well no one's forming a committee so i guess we should yes. and like those people that do that like i don't know it just it's very inspiring it is absolutely and it's just an interesting thing to think about for anyone who's legally inclined or for anyone who has any interest in human rights or even especially irish people and the international international human rights system has had our backs for a while now when we've been let down by the state yeah um it's an interesting it's an interesting read yeah call me sometime if you want to talk about it listeners (laughs) my my landline is always open (laughs) dm with thoughts on treaties Honestly, I'd be happy to hear. Any yeah, no, we're like or, I laugh, but that's actually true. no. Any questions or comments? I don't have Instagram all the time, but yeah. if you DM me, I'll send you my email. And we can have a chat. And we know that there's a variance of topics that we touch upon within some depth. Like sometimes it'll be international law treaties. Sometimes it'll be like Cardi B's divorce. Oh, tell me about that date. Yeah, I don't they're know much getting about a divorce. Yes. Well, I I really didn't really know much more than they're getting a divorce and I felt kind of sad about it but then I, I made this weird connection in my mind with the fact that she's just released WAP oh yeah and I think oh I remember that, you saying this in the kitchen earlier but I couldn't fully understand what you were getting at I, I couldn't fully articulate <laughs> but um <laughs> I don't blame you on the slides but it um it rung something it rang a bell in my head of in Lady Gaga's documentary five foot two when she talks about every milestone in her career was marked with a breakup Ooh. And I think that this is is endemic for women in the spotlight, particularly because they they come up again, especially if they're married to stars mm-hmm. or they're in relationships with people that are in the public eye. Mm-hmm. Um, those people either act out when 
the woman in the relationship seems to be Doing attaining, well. you know, um, accolades or attention for something, or they cheat, or there's a breakup. And I just have been noticing this pattern over the past few years, and mm-hmm. I didn't know if it was maybe just me, but it was the beginnings of a hot take. Yes. Yeah. Okay, interesting. And I, as you say that now, people who come into my mind are um, Ariana Grande. Yeah. Taylor Swift, mm-hmm. Casey Musgraves, women yes. take pain of like emotional and relationship distress and craft from it. Yes, art comes from it. Art comes from it, and also like with what Gaga was saying, she was like, "Okay, I, 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 my album hit platinum, and then I lost this guy, and then my oh. my career hit this peak, and then I lost this guy, and then like she was like, there's a pattern here, do you know? They're intimidated, and yeah, and I think it ends up." them blaming themselves for the the like accidental or even or like totally unconscious emasculating exactly that goes this on. is something that you and I have been talking about recently but I think it's worth noting here because it's on a similar stream but there is something about the way that we've been socialized and the way that men have been socialized and the way that masculinity is performed that when you are considered hot mm. conventionally attractive yes. or even if you're not considered conventionally attractive but they've decided they want to put their dick in you right they can't they put you in that box mm. and they can't look at you and also think of you as a full complicated human being who yeah. wears mini skirts but is also incredibly intelligent and just as clever as they are. Mm. And something that they really can't understand that makes them so uncomfortable that they can't engage with you is that you might actually be more intelligent than they are and more talented than they are. And they can't understand that somebody that they want to put their dick into could be more talented than them. Yeah. And it, it, it destroys them. Like, they're terrified of it. That too. And then when it comes... Then when you introduce things like a natural competitive streak in them or something like that they believe that they have only... They're the only people on earth that have felt a certain strain of pain. Yes. And they forget that actually women are, women are of multitudes. You know, yes. Like, I, I hear a lot all the time, oh, the duality of man. Like, that's been a bit memeified now. They're mm-hmm. like, oh, I can do this and I can do this. Like, the duality of man. Like, get a guy that can do both. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. But, like, I, I see women as, like, multitudes. There's so much going on in every single woman's identity. Yes. And there's so much at play in so many... Anyway, yeah. That's... I, I feel that, like... There, there, there are so many layers that, that get ignored um, even in long term friendships between men and women I agree and yeah I think you, that you go into a box yeah that, that's exactly and it, I, I think even with best intentions that is something that happens and it's something yeah. that it's only in the last year or so since I've started well we've started studying here and I, I started my LLM last September it's only then that I really started realising how intimidated men are by the idea that you might actually be more clever than they are mm. um, but yeah anyway I think we'll we'll leave that for our hot take turn absolutely but I will just add I just had a thought about my week on the internet and something I've been doing is um admiring a good friend of mine's artwork his name is Ross Carvel and he does the most beautiful hand-painted tote bags and if you are looking for a new one you need to check him out he is he's also like one of the funniest people I've ever met and he's also a pretty he's got extremely cool tattoos but um yeah that's all I say shout out to Ross well done for like nailing life and um I'll probably buy a tote bag from you when my ship goes in 
Incredible. When we aren't living off beans and rice. Ah, yeah. But like, we do love beans. And rice. I do. Ah, you made you great beans last night, too. Thanks. It was actually a bean and lentil chili, but whatever. Will we get on to our poetry? Yes, please. Would you like to go first or shall I? Yes, I will. I'll just explain to the listeners. You, you know, obviously, our shindig at this stage, um, we do uh, poetry. We each read a poem and mm-hmm. we discuss it. This week, we've been going to the beach every evening and when we go to the beach every evening we think about or read or talk about writing and that either that's short stories Mm. or blog posts or tweets or poems it's been something that we've been doing a lot this week so we decided that we would actually read two poems yeah um so just a, a little a disclaimer there that's why there's no hot take turntable yeah sorry to disappoint we're also, you we just want you to know there's hot takes in the pipeline oh we're steaming but they're just they're in there exactly you know what I mean? they're waiting I just want to apologise to me and Martin there will be no hot take turntable and week. also if anybody does have a hot take feel free to enter my DMs and I'll call it out on air I won't take ownership for it or take credit oh I swear no that wouldn't be Daisy <laughs> alrighty would you like to go first okay cool um, this one is a very interesting poem by Major Jackson and I saw it on the New York Times poetry section. It was selected by Naomi Shihab Nye, who's I think the poet laureate in Chicago at the moment. Um, but it's called The Body's Uncontested Need to Devour an Explanation. I am bathing again, burying my face into the great nations of moss. I am leaning in, smelling the emerald emerald mountains and the little inhabitants crossing over rock-like boulders and tree trunks empired bit by bit. My nose must come to them like a probing spaceship causing a mighty eclipse. They speak in whispers but do not shriek when gazing into the dim landing bays of my cavernous thoughts. I am grazing like a Dionysian. I come not with religion. I come yearning for first spring and a thirst for spores pooling like mercenaries in the dark. The little gods of the forest live here. I want to ingest their verdant supplements until they carpet my cavities and convert my raptorial self into its own ecosystem off into the green. Wow. What a calming but also disturbing poem. Yes. Yeah, it has the it has like multiple things. It's calming, it's disturbing. It suggests that like I felt initially like I knew the feeling that Major was describing. That need like you know when you take your shoes off when you go to the beach, yes, and you just you wanted like your feet wanted to devour the sand, yes. And I thought that that was what he was referring to that need to like absorb nature yeah. to the point that it just becomes part of you. And then I realized he was talking about taking eating the settlements and absorbing it into his psyche and becoming an ecosystem like like turning it into something that lacks permanence and I thought it's an it could be interpreted like tag me for saying colonialism again yes but like as man's need to just keep absorbing land after land after land after land and like just ingesting it yeah also got to point out there the white man's need to uh, Sorry, continue yes. uh, to ingest land and uh, make it their own ecosystem yeah exactly their own and um, capitalist values yeah what an interesting take on that poem that was a really mm. nice one would you like to read your second poem now or will i go again um you go first okay so the book that i'll be reading from this week is actually a book that i've had for just over two years now um, I got it in 2018, just after the um, repeal referendum. 
and it was it's written by uh, Martina Evans it's called Now We Can Speak Openly About the Men and it's published by um, Carsonet Press in Manchester and I met Martina Evans it was she actually did a reading of it at the Poetry Ireland Centre on Parnell Street in Dublin and this book is basically about the two wars in Ireland the War of Independence and the Civil War but it's from the perspectives of two women so the first part is um, Kitty Donovan who's a dressmaker in Cork in 1919 and obviously Cork was a, a hothouse of um, the Republican movement in 1919 when the black and tans were um, explicitly um, violent there and then we have uh, the second part which is Babe Cronin um, in 1924 and she's up in Dublin so I'll begin with I'll just read a poem from um, Kitty Donovan's perspective and um, this is from the first part of the book so she's in Cork the darting pain ran against the right side of my face if I could turn the clock back to Thursday the 1st I'd have got off my chair faster and that was the cause getting frozen in the draft before the curfew standing on top of my green painting chair pinning the vermilion blankets over the window for the, before the blackout with scissors number one in my hand for protection a pure perishing mist rose up from under the bridge while I stood foolishly too long with the scissors the two rivers twinning and separating in my mind a pair of snakes the lee and the black water had I left my husband underwater in Cork only to find him resurrect himself in Mallow it's such a haunting one and you really feel like you're up on that chair with her yes you know she takes you there I suppose that was the feeling of unease and fright that they experienced round the clock. Exactly. And sometimes you forget that that was the the emotional. Exactly. I think what I really enjoy about this book is that it returns the narrative and sheds light on the narrative of women living through that period in Ireland. And you know, I think it's a pretty pretty commonly acknowledged um, practice now that uh, rape is a weapon of war and yeah. there has in all of history never been a war without rape mm. and without domestic violence and without sexual violence and a thing that's never discussed in Ireland because we're too busy ascribing them to be heroes is the acts of violence committed by Irish men against Irish women especially yeah. during that period and in this reading actually she is it's been alluded to that her husband was abusive and that she, he may have drowned in, in Cork. We don't know who by and what the circumstances were, but I think it paints a really clear picture of somebody living in terror, whether the husband's there yeah. or not, whether he's alive or not. Her her terror is brought upon her by this this moment of yeah. panic. And the fact that they, like, it's so artfully done the way the shadow of his possible return is at the last part of the poem so yes. it leaves you with a sense of dread absolutely yeah. absolutely it's a really good poem good. would you like to read your second sure this one is called keeping quiet by pablo neruda and i actually didn't know about pablo neruda i saw this on reddit and i just thought um it had an interesting feeling to it now we will count to twelve, and we will all keep still. For once on the face of the earth, let's not speak in any language. Let's stop for a second and not move our arms so much. It 
it would be an exotic moment without rush, without engines. We would all be together in a sudden strangeness. Fishermen in the cold sea would not harm whales, and the man gathering salt would not look at his hurt hands. Those who prepare green wars, wars with gas, wars with fire, victories with no survivors, would put on clean clothes and walk about with their brothers in the shade doing nothing. What I want should not be confused with total inactivity. Life is what it is about. I want no truck with death. If we were not so single-minded about keeping our lives moving, and for once could do nothing, perhaps a huge silence might interrupt this sadness of never understanding ourselves and of threatening ourselves with death. Perhaps the earth can teach us, as when everything seems dead and later proves to be alive. Now I'll count up to twelve, and you keep quiet and I will go. You know what I started thinking about there? Yeah. It's what we were thinking, talking about at the start of the episode. Yeah. About, you know, the fruits from your own garden and, mm. and tending to and caring for your own garden. Yeah. Except and, that the garden is everyone's. And also, this one sort of echoes what Voltaire's thinking is because he, they're, they're going, maybe if we will just stop and be quiet, this will all just go away. Yeah. And I think the point is that like we're carrying all this trauma with us because we're the perpetrators of all this trauma. Mm-hmm. So asking us to stop and wait for it to blow over is not an option. No. So it actually does echo what we were thinking this morning so much. And even Major's poem, the one, um, uh, the the one I read out earlier, that too was also very. Um, there was like vivid imagery of like violence in the earth and yes. action versus inaction. Yes. So it's a bit of an accidental theme, I guess. Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm going to read a second poem from part two of this um, book by Martina Evans. And this is um, this is Babe Cronin um, in Dublin. It's 1924. I'll begin. She disturbed the quiet home I had at Hayes's when she arrived first in 1920. I could hardly move my jaw. It was stiff with rage. The indignity of having to listen to her, whether I liked it or not. Me, who had no time for rebels. An open tap of propaganda poured out of her mouth from the minute she came down to breakfast wearing men's grey breeches, and it never turned off until she was asleep. When I first saw her eyes closed in the sitting room chair and making no faces, I could see she was nice looking, in spite of the man's black cap, cropped hair, bitten nails, weather-beaten face, and all the rest. I put my silver grey shawl over her. The only good thing crocheted by myself. That's so sweet. There's so much character in that poem. Yes. Like you can, you almost, you read it really well, but you could picture that as part of a play. Yes. Going to, like to create somebody's character. Absolutely. Um, also, I'm not sure if it was clear from the poem, um, but spoiler alert, uh, they fall in love. They're in love. <laughs> and um, she is... Um, member of coming on and she is she is one of the rebels who is so this is into the civil war now and um at that point coming on were starting to be pushed to the side and they mm. were saying great women thanks a lot thanks for all the help 
Um, we'll take it from here. We got yeah. the we got the independence, or so yeah. we think. Now it's time for you guys to step aside, and we'll create the new state where you guys are in the home. And coming on at this point became intensely radical, um, and uh, as as described, uh, wore men's breeches and set lots of shit on fire. Um, so fair fucking play to them. God bless you, babe. And there you go. That's what happens when limitations, like they're radicalism you know what exactly. I mean like it does it, that's what happens and yes it's a kind of an exciting moment that she's captured there where it's the turning point yes and then there's still so much gentleness in it with the reference to the crochet exactly what I thought just was like, so lovely about it was you know obviously it's a, an incredible that story of queer love but it's also a really important story of the gentleness of the person who's coming down to breakfast ready to fucking shout to the rooftops that what an injustice we all live in yeah and then she has a quiet moment on the couch where she's fallen asleep and you can see how gentle and vulnerable she is and yeah. the woman who loves her comes over and says it's okay I'm gonna put a blanket over you again women are multitudes multitudes of course because we're human beings exactly that's the real hot take this week <laughs> ladies and gentlemen guys girls and non-binary pals ladies are human beings yeah at least most of them are I have no idea what I am Skeletal shell. (laughs) We leave it there. We'll leave it there. Alright, bye guys. See you later.